are you a minister and, and you're gay? Um, and those were the responses that I was always afraid of. And so that's the part of what kept me um, yeah. coming out all of those years. And, uh, and so I feel like I was prepared for those responses. And because when I made the decision to finally come out, I would accepted that that yep. would come. Um, but to my surprise, there was an overwhelming acceptance of us. There was- What's up, everybody? And welcome to the Queerly Black Show. I'm your host, Ashley, and I'm so happy you came by. The Queerly Black Show aims to normalize the everyday existence of black LGBTQIA plus individuals through an interview style series with regular folks like you and me. So every week, a new guest shares their story and unique perspective on their existence as an LGBTQIA plus individual. Thank you for tuning in and make sure you subscribe, download, set your reminders to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Enjoy the show. What's up, everybody? It's another episode of the Queerly Black Show. I'm your host, Ashley, and I'm here with a very, very special guest. Jonathan Allen is in the building. This is this is a this is a fly guy right here, y'all. This is a fly guy, super educated. I'm gonna let him tell tell y'all about himself. This is a very fly guy, very educated. We're gonna learn a lot today. Jonathan, tell the people about yourself. What's up, everybody? I'm Jonathan Allen. Thank you, Ashley. Thank you um, to everyone for who's a part of this community and for sure being a part of this platform today to share a little bit more about my story. I'm originally from Texas and was also raised in North Louisiana, well not North Louisiana, South Louisiana. My family would kill me uh, for for saying that. Um, For sure um, we um, are Southern roots, um, indeed. Uh, went to Grambling State University for my bachelor's degree in management and marketing. Was at Grambling's an HBCU for those of you who do not know. Um, then, then went up to back to Dallas, to Southern Methodist University, Perkins School of Theology, in fact, for my master's of theological studies. Um, before coming up to Boston, which is where I live now with my partner of ten years, Derek Young Jr. Um, I came up to Boston for law school at Boston University School of Law um, and can definitely share more about our journey together as we unpack uh, through the rest of the show. But I am co-founder and and director of development for a nonprofit organization that me and Derek co-founded called Leadership Brainery, um, which is expanding access to master's and doctoral degree programs for underrepresented communities. So we can leverage that as an accelerated pathway to management and leadership roles in the workforce, uh, which really is our vision for helping close wealth gaps and opportunity gaps in our communities. So super excited uh, to be on the show today. Awesome, man. We're we're very glad to have you. And we definitely going to get to all of that. Um, you know, today you are, you know, you, you, all these amazing accomplishments. Um, one of the things we try to do here is we try to go back to the beginning, right? And we try to help people who may be stuck somewhere in the middle to arrive at, you know, where you are today. So take us all the way back. And by arrive where you are, I mean, being open, being free, being comfortable with who you are, expressing yourself in all the facets that you do, um, particularly in the Black queer community. Um, so go all the way back and like, when when was that first time that you knew um, that you had to face your, your sexuality? Mm, that's a really good question. And I think that for me, it has been a journey, a process, mm. um, not just a fixed moment in time. 
Uh, I grew up as a childhood preacher, so I think that's really important for people to understand. I preached my first sermon, official sermon, at the age of 11 years old. I was still in elementary school at the time. And so that dynamic is how I had to navigate life from a very young age, um, being the person in my community who was, in fact, a young leader and a young minister, um, and uh, oftentimes responsible for helping other people navigate some of the most challenging aspects of their lives and their journeys. And, and so that was a very challenging aspect of my own journey, um, having to really dissect and understand who I was not only personally, um, but who I was in connection to an entire community and an entire faith community, in fact. And, and so it was really difficult for me. Um, I oftentimes refer back to when I was in high school, for example, and before I would even go to high school prom or homecoming dances, I would get permission from my pastor um, to be able to go to prom because I was mm. afraid of how people would view me and particularly being concerned of them feeling like, oh, I'm being hypocritical because certainly being from the South and being a part of the church in the South, the black church, in fact, there's this thing about secular music and worldly music and going into certain types of environments. And so it was really, it made it really complex and challenging for me to navigate both being a young person as well as being um, what we would consider an elder um, or leader um, in the church. And so the people I went to school with were the same youth that were part of my youth ministry who were looking to me for guidance. And, and so I had to navigate that. And so even as I began reflecting on who I am and who I was um, identity-wise, um, that made it really challenging. That meant that there was many days where I couldn't talk to anybody mm -hmm. about the fact that I was attracted to the same sex. I couldn't unpack those things in a, a free environment. And there were many days where I would pray to God, pray on the altar, asking for God to take the gay away. Um, it never happened, mm -hmm. but, but that was a thing. And so many people can relate yeah. to that, going 100%. through that process, going through that journey, trying to figure out who am I and does God love me? Um, and the way that we say that God loves so greatly, so abundantly, so unconditionally, but yet oftentimes when we heard narratives around what it could be de deemed homosexuality or same-sex loving relationships or queer relationships, um, that, that God didn't love that though. Mm -hmm. God didn't um, embrace that though. And, and so from a very young age, I feel like I was on this journey of trying to understand who God was and I went to theology school at Southern Methodist University, as I mentioned, and what I thought was a degree and journey for me to become a better preacher actually became a personal journey, a personal degree, a personal process where theology is the study of God. That is what you are essentially unpacking when you study theology. And in addition to learning more about God, I learned more about history. I learned more about systems and how they influence the way that people interpret things, the context that people understand things from and perceive things from, and this notion and reality that even religion um, is a human construct, um, that people have created the institution of religion, um, and that 
that has influence in many real ways, the way that our society functions and operates. And so for people who are same-sex loving, unfortunately, um, we have been you know, deemed to fall outside of um, the, the grace zone um, within many faith and religions. And that's not because the, the gods that religions serve have deemed us to be unworthy but because the people who are leading and running these religions have deemed it. Mm -hmm. um, and so therefore we have to continue to understand the connection um, that the administration of religion, the operation of religion, the institution, the connection it has to broader systems, political systems, economic systems, in fact. And so um, that is what really helped me to begin unpacking and loosening up some of the chains yeah. that I had on me. Um, and really seeing, wait, God, much of what I understood about you not accepting people like me didn't come from you to begin with. Um, and, and that was a level of freedom of the mind um, that really allowed me to, one, begin to appreciate who I am and love myself even more. And it was in 2015. Um, that I initially came out, started coming out to my family um, and friends, and in 2016 came out more publicly once I was in my first year of law school at Boston University, um, came out publicly um, that me and Derek were in a relationship, and that really began unpacking um, even me and Derek's journey. We met in college and undergrad at Grambling in 2012 and had been living a DL relationship all of that time. Um, and, and so, you know, me coming out was really the catalyst to me and Derek becoming more free, even in our relationship. So we can unpack that more yeah. um, in the conversation. But yeah, yeah it, that, that was really for me, um, some of the dynamics and factors that contributed to me finally um, saying, wait, I'm worth more than this. And I'm going to stop hiding who I love and, and how I feel so that other people can be pleased and feel better because that was the dynamic for me all alone. It was family, not wanting to let family down and feeling pressured um, to stay in the closet. But then it was also this broader community of people who were following me and looking up to me that I didn't want to disappoint either. And so once I reached a place where I felt that, hey, I have to mean something to me. Yeah. You know, I have to be worthy of dignity and respect to me um, before I expect other people to give that to me. That makes sense. So when you when you uh, became um, a childhood preacher at 11, did you know then? Yes, um, I always had an attraction. But even then, I was convincing myself that something yeah, was wrong. For it. sure. Um, and so while I knew it, while I felt it, I was fighting it the entire mm -hmm. time, for sure. And dating women, I was in a very serious relationship um, early on in, in college even, um, and you know, thought that she was going to be my wife, we were going to have kids, and this this was the one. And, and, at that, and even then, as much as I did love her, I do feel like I was forcing myself um, to you know, fit within a mold that I didn't necessarily deep down inside feel like really aligned with, with you know, how I felt and, and wanted to journey life for sure. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Did you, when, um, because it's interesting, you were a childhood preacher, that's pretty cool. And it makes a lot of sense 
because you're very, very well spoken. And I know that, you know, you went to theology school, so, you know, you do a lot of public speaking, but that makes- Working on on my skill sets over the years, for sure. That definitely makes a lot of sense. Um, Do do you remember what the, what you preached about? My first sermon? Yeah. The love of God. Oh, awesome. (laughs) That was my first sermon. It was about the love of God. Uh, I think it was John 3.16, for God so loved oh, the world, the only begotten Son, whose love believed in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. That was my first sermon. Um, and it was at New Life in Christ Ministries in Irving, Texas. Um, the late pastor, overseer, William O'Neill, my my mentor, um, one of the love of my life, um, who passed away a few years ago, um, was my mentor who really showed me the ropes, not only in preaching, but in being a young man in, mm-hmm. in learning how to deal with people and building relationships. He, he was literally kind of my introduction um, to networking and relationship building and even brand building, like thinking about how people interact with you. What do you want them to take away uh, from that interaction? What impression do you want to leave? So super dope individual and yeah. the world certainly is missing who I believe was one of the greatest individuals to walk this earth. Yeah. He sounds, he sounds like he was awesome. Uh, one question about uh, him. It sounds like he was definitely a big part of uh, your journey and uh, you know, him being a, a minister, what was his views on homosexuality? You know, we did not have the opportunity to discuss it much um, during while he was on earth and he never really preached he never preached about about it it. and condemned it publicly which I think is telling of just the type of heart um, that he had there was one time that I did share with him um, that I was in a relationship with Derek and he he was not condemning he was actually very supportive of me and I really appreciate that. I really appreciate that. And it actually was one of the first instances in which someone who I looked up to and respected so much, mm-hmm. um, their response kind of gave me a little bit more freedom, a little bit more confidence that, okay, um, things are going to be all right. Because yeah. one of the people that I love the most didn't ostracize me, didn't throw me away, um, didn't chastise me or condemn me. Yeah. So shout out to to Fasovia. Yeah, that's awesome. Because yeah, it's you know that that I, I I like to highlight those um those individuals you know within the church that obviously uh, help people because we know that the the mass narrative around church and homosexuality is ne- is not good, and so whenever there's you know um, th- those those moments where it's it's an affirming story, you know I definitely yeah. like to make sure people understand because you know, a lot of us are still, a lot of people, I, I'm a believer. I love, you know, I love the Lord. I, I, I ain't straying away from that. I know the way my life is set up. If God wasn't in it, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> so we, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm definitely for that, but I think a lot of people have a, a challenge of reconciliation, right? So a lot of times they have to go away from the mm. church, get mm. that uh, understanding for themselves and then come back because then they're able to have that, um, that, uh, affirmation within themselves that I'm okay. And mm-hmm. you have that, that, that your own direct line versus it coming through a, a preacher who may or a pastor who may or may not be, um, supportive. I totally agree. And one thing that I really appreciate about Pastor Neil is that he never really tried to force me to be any particular kind of way. And yeah. I never was like the most 
masculine, um, certainly definitely not in a toxic way. And, and, you know, I love to dance and sing. And, and he really gave me space to do everything that I wanted to do, to explore all of my gifts and talents. And, and, and that was really transformative for me. Because I think in our communities, when we're not necessarily in situations where people are condemning sexuality, we're in situations where certain gender roles and stereotypes and stigmas around what it means to be male or female, masculine or feminine is constantly being reinforced. And he never tried to force traditional or toxic roles or dynamics on me. And I really appreciated that. And I also say to this point about you know, people sometimes needing to step away from the church um, to you know, reconcile and, and that is for me personally, I have evolved um, certainly um, in my faith and my understanding of faith um, and my understanding of who God is and who I am in relation to God and, re and in relation to others. And I do believe that God is working across every field, every discipline, every life, every religion. Mm -hmm. um, I see God there. And I've I believe that there is an interconnectedness, an interrelatedness, an interdependency that we all have on each other. I tell people all the time that if God is the creator and we are God's creation, then the best way to get to know more about God is to spend more time with what God has made. That includes the birds, the, the trees, the, the wind, the water. Um, all of it is God's creation in addition to each other. And we ought to see the beauty in it all, the, the majesty in it all, and be able to glean signs and, and wisdom from everything that we interact with. And in this way, we're not pigeonholing ourselves into religion and into human constructs, um, but truly walking in a greater sense of gratitude and awareness of who we are, I call it um, uh, by a three-part framework, self-awareness, social awareness, and spiritual awareness. And in fact, those of us who are concerned with fostering greater social transformation, um, I do believe that we must continue to take care of ourselves um, by developing self-awareness, social awareness, and spiritual awareness. Um, I think the three of them give us, us a balance to navigate at the intersections of life. Um, which come with so many ups and downs. And so we don't have that balance of who am I? Self-awareness. Who am I in relation to others? Social awareness. Um, who is not only God, but, but what is the soul? And, and how is that interrelated and connected with all of the world, all the universe, um, spiritual awareness, which is a lot about um, greater awareness and understanding of energy and how we transfer energy one to another. Yeah. And, and so the balance of the three, I, I really encourage people to spend some time developing. For sure. Um, so you go through, you're a leader from very, very young. Um, you have a girlfriend, um, you know, trying to kind of fit that frame. Um, and then you eventually break off your relationship with uh, the woman. And then how did you meet your husband? I broke it off with me. Oh, she cheated. broke it off with you. Oh. <laughs> Basically, mm. uh, but we won't dive too far. 
no. on the internet at this point. At this point. We'll stay but, with the positive. <laughs> exactly. We'll, we'll say that for another time. But for sure, um, in 2012, I ended up meeting Derek. I was running for student body president at Grambling. And Derek came up to me in the auditorium of of the T.H. Harris um, Auditorium on Grambling's campus, um, telling me that my name and paraphernalia was still on someone's car. And the rules at, uh, on college campuses around elections, one in particular at Grambling was that we had to have all paraphernalia removed by a certain time on the last day of campaign season. And, uh, and so he came to essentially save my life. And I appreciate him for it uh, because um, had I had he not came up to me and said, hey, you need to get that off of one of those vehicles before the time elapsed, I could have been disqualified, which the year before that I was this I ran for student by president was disqualified because someone had my T-shirt on seven minutes after um, the time had passed. And so all of that work, um, unfortunately. Uh, we were disqualified. We were the highest vote getter. So we were absolutely the front runner, which definitely gave me the confidence that I had the support on my campus and people wanted me to, to lead. And so I ran again um, in my junior year, um, was elected, and Derek and I started our journey together during that time. He was appointed to my board of directors, not my board of directors, but my, my executive board and served as our director of student relations. And so that's how we really, uh, the beginning of our relationship was us doing a lot of work together, um, certainly for the greater good and certainly for our student body. Um, but when we first met, there was an instant connection. Like I really felt like super impressed in a way that I wasn't impressed by anybody else that I ever encountered and certainly, certainly not no one on my campus. And so when I met him, I'm like, how have I not met you? How have I not seen you on this small yeah. campus of all of this time? And the rest is history. We've been together now next month, um, which April 27th, 10 years. That's incredible. It's a journey. Yeah. Um, yeah. Me and uh, my partner, we've been together for 13 years. Amazing. This year, yeah. So it's, I, I, I know, it. I know. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, it's a journey. It's a beautiful thing. Um, so was he your first um, male relationship? He was my first male relationship. Yes. I had not been in a relationship with anybody else. And, and it has been a journey and we, I'm so proud of us of, all of the things we've navigated, all of the challenges we've overcome, all of the skill sets that we've developed, like greater communication skills, um, listening skills, empathy. Um, I'm so proud of that we've been able to really cultivate and get to know each other more over the years. And in fact, choose each other over and oh, over and over again. Every I single tell day. people all the time that you are, you don't have to be with the person you're with. You don't have to be with anybody. Um, so the fact that you are in a relationship with someone, you are making a conscious choice um, to prioritize them in your life, to be with them. Um, I don't care what feelings that you have and what attraction you have that make you feel like, oh, I could not live life without them. Um, the reality is you are making a choice. Um, and so I'm just really proud that um, every day choosing Derek is easy. It's not difficult to wake up every day and say, yes, this is the person that I want to continue to commit myself to. I want to continue to journey this life with. And I'm just super excited for all this to come. Yeah. Was he, um, were you his first male relationship? I was not. I was okay. not his first male was relationship. Was he out? He was out, okay. um, and unfortunately, when we got together, 
um, he went back into the closet. And that was an aspect of our relationship that was really difficult um, to process and to journey through um, because here Derek was having to deal with the whole dynamic of, of not being his full authentic self, having to curtail back and hide himself. And, and, and that he did that because of me, because I, I was a, a preacher and I, and I did have this public image and I was still unpacking for myself who I was and accepting myself. When we first got together, I was telling him there was no way that we would ever get married. There's no way we will ever actually be together in the long run. I am going to find um, you know, someone who's a woman to marry. We're gonna have children and I'm gonna live um, the perceived um, standard life. Um, and I'm just so grateful that God blessed me with someone who one challenged my own understanding of who I was and who God was as being a more loving and just person than I had obviously ever known God to be. Uh, but then also being a super creative individual um, um, and always inspiring me to go above and beyond and in fact that's always been a part of my dna i've always mm -hmm. been a go-getter i've always been ambitious um but but Derek um has been an, a, a very ambitious person and not um trying to always conform to social constructs and i really appreciate how he has pushed me um to evolve and to break loose and become even more unbridled yeah i want to talk about two perspectives of this because um i did talk to someone else who talked about kind of the struggles of uh, DL relationships, right? Uh, so I want to talk about his mindset shifting back in the closet, right? And then how he influenced you to come out, because I'm sure having the support and um, love of him was probably a large catalyst Absolutely. why you did it because you know obviously you said you know I was gonna go I'm like this is cool for now but I'm gonna go find my wife and I'm gonna go and have my big church or whatever your aspirations mm -hmm, were why mm -hmm, you needed mm -hmm. that vision right and how this didn't fit in it right exactly um but talk about that in the the conversations the struggles of him coming back in the closet and then ultimately what was those pivotal conversations to for you to say okay I'm gonna come out yeah, I really appreciate that Derek, one, understood the dilemma and the, the complexity that I was trying to navigate. Um, but so do you outwardly tell him, like, when you're dating, I'm in, this is more um, for understanding, right? Because this happens, right? Like, m for example, my partner and I, when we got together, she was with a guy before she got with me. And I was like, I don't really know about you because, you know... <laughs> I don't know exactly. what, I don't know what your, you know, what your, your angle is here. Right. And so, but for her, it was like, no, like, I love you. I'm with you. It's like, okay, well then what about your family? What about exactly. these things? And so I know what our conversations looked like. And it almost was as if there were like milestones that happened. Like there, there, were, there would be things that would happen where we would have to confront it. Exactly. It would be like, okay, so is this the moment? Like, are we gonna are we gonna finally just go ahead and deal with it? Not in a a pushy kind of way, but in a natural like. There's something happening Evolution. that we exactly. need to like 
deal with this um what was that what were some of those and it was frustration of course from you know even from her of like why can't they just understand this like what is you know why am I having such a hard time with this or whatever those things were from even on her own end because she comes from a very strong um uh Pentecostal family and that's a whole other thing right so it was like the battle of herself and then obviously me and she's like I'm not trying to like hide this but I don't know like how to move forward and not lose my family or not exactly like, exactly so which what, was what the case like for me guys? a lot a lot of it was those conversations mm -hmm. um, exactly and and really working through that so time played a major factor so mm -hmm, 100%. we were already um, before I even, even came out, we were already four years into the relationship. And so we were navigating that. So time was just building up. We were mm -hmm. starting to get older. And so the conversations about, okay, what are we doing here? Like, you know, we've been together years now. So are, are we going to be together or not? Um, are you committed or not? Um, and then uh, me finally reaching a place where I'm like, well, look, I love him. And I don't want to risk losing him because of me being afraid to upset other people and to lose other people. And they're married and or in relationships and living their lives and not worrying about me at all. Mm -hmm. And so why would I continue to put my life and my love on the back burner um, for the sake of other people? And I think for me, what had been really challenging is growing up as a minister, I had become accustomed to always putting everyone else first. Mm -hmm. Always. Yeah. That was, that was the, mission. the ministry. That, yeah, that's the mission. That mm -hmm. And so that's how I was programmed. And because I, I was preaching at such a young age, you just have to understand the degree to which my psyche and my mentality was shaped and influenced. Um, and so I had a real commitment um, to putting other people first. And I am still certainly one of those people uh, who love people and often am putting people first. Um, but I had to reach a place um, beyond my love for Derek to also love myself. Mm -hmm. And and that's what it really took me to finally say, wait, I love me and I need me to be free. Mm -hmm. um, and at the same time, I'm on the verge of losing someone um, that, I, that I love deeply and we saw from the beginning of our relationship of me saying, I don't see us being together to us then having those conversations of saying, wait, I, I do love you. And you know, I want to see us together. Um, I want to be with you, but I don't know how. I, I don't know how to deal with the other circumstances. I don't know how to confront my family. I don't know how to accept if family and friends choose to not deal with me anymore and not accept and support me anymore. Uh, I'm, and I don't know how to deal with the thousands of people out there who have been following my ministry and looking at, up to me as a leader. I don't know how to deal with the potential of them being influenced in a way that may put them in circumstances and situations that might be harmful. Um, and, and so that, that was what I really, really, really wrestled with. Um, but I just had to finally get to a place where, you know, as much as that matters, and as, as much as I love other people, how can I be the best for other people when I'm not yet the best for me? Mm -hmm. how, how can I really um, Absolutely. be of hope yeah. to other people um, when I'm not living my full authentic self, when y'all don't even know who I am 100%. Mm -hmm. And so I finally made a decision that I'd rather you love me for me and for all of me 
than to be loving me for a facade of me, for a version of me, um, for a persona of me. And, and so that that is where I think the breaking point really began to come, that reconciling of self and um, you know, that consideration of, of the love that I also have. Um, for Derek and, and 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 it really and still is always um, a journey unpacking different aspects of family and friends and community and society even running a business together as two black um, queer men and that being the fact that we are married be that that is a factor that we navigate and have yeah. to process as we think about how we communicate to stakeholders how we communicate to sponsors and partners how we communicate to talent um, who are taking advantage of our resources as well and never wanting anyone to undermine us, uh, uh, undercut us um, because of how we identify, because of who we are, uh, but wanting them to always see the value in the work that we do and the intentionality in which we do it. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, to be able to build something, um, you know, so powerful together is, you know, I always think that that's, uh, that, that's always amazing. Um, he sounds like an amazing person, by the way. He is, um, and I can't wait for you to meet him. I know. Uh, what was, so in coming out to round out this, what was your first action in terms of coming out? Was it a phone call to a family member? Um, what did that look like? And then when was the first time you posted both of you publicly as a couple, not in a like business or like we work together kind my of friend, Not, exactly. my, little, my little friend <laughs> when was the first time you put them you know out there as your person like your partner in life my love um and then the first phone call <laughs> all right so in 2015 I started um at the beginning of that year um a process in my journey of self-reflection and and I told myself okay I really need to unpack affirm and accept who I fully am. And so I started getting real with myself and just dealing with the emotions. That's what a lot of it was. Mm -hmm. Like I already knew what I was attracted to and, and kind of really where, I, where I, my heart was for sure. Uh, but, so, but I really needed to just deal with the emotions head on, get over the fear. That's really what it was about. Mm -hmm. Me getting over the fear uh, and the risk. And toward the end of 2015, um, for my 25th birthday, um, we took a trip to Miami and both my cousin and my brother um, joined us and one of our friends as well. And that was one of the first moments in which I came out to some of my closest folk. I had already started coming out to some of my friends via like phone call conversations. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of like family, that was that pivotal moment. And so that was in Miami in 2015 in November. And then in December, um, I finally told my mother over dinner, and this, this was right before I was, at that time I was in theology school and I was moving to DC at the end of December for um, six months to participate in a semester um, um, in practice. And it was called the Capital Semester for Seminarians at Wesley uh, Theological Seminary. And at the same time, I was taking a course with Mike um, Curry, who was the former White House press secretary under Bill Clinton. And the course was about studying faith and politics, the intersection mm -hmm. between faith and politics and how policies and, and laws are formed by faith, in fact. Mm -hmm. um, and, and oftentimes the distinction between Democrats and Republicans is lines um, drawn by faith. Um, and, and, you know, when you think about 
who pro-choice um, versus those people who are for abortion. You know, it's oftentimes boiling down um, to what they believe faith-wise. Mm -hmm. uh, and the same is the case around legalizing gay marriage and, and other types of policies that we see and laws that we see. Um, and so that's what I was doing in DC and, and also uh, working for Congress, Congressman Bobby Rush. And so I, I wanted to tell my mom before I went off to DC um, to, to do that. And, and that was um, the first time um, at the end of December that I finally told my mom. And I'm just so proud of her and how she, it was shocking at first and you know you got to realize that all my life she's seen me as a leader yeah. to, even to her like a mm -hmm. her personal minister and so she mm -hmm. really had to unpack that because not only did it have have an influence on how she saw me but it absolutely had an influence on how it she saw herself mm -hmm. and what she understood about faith um and um today i'm just so proud at you know how much she's evolved and so much all the love that she showed me and Derek and the support that she give us um, and so that was how we unpacked and so in 2016 when I got to law school um, and then at the in the summer of 2017 um, is when I first posted um, particularly on Facebook I changed my relationship status to being in a relationship with Derek so that's how I did it um, I didn't make a grand post about anything. Mm -hmm. I didn't post a picture. Um, I just changed my relationship status to being in a relationship with Derek and the entire community reacted. And, you know, it got a lot of attention and people were shocked. Some were excited. And then later that same year in um, October of 2017 is when I proposed um, to Derek uh, finally. And, uh, you know, that went viral and that's you know, really kind of the beginning of you know, us more publicly um, yeah. sharing our relationship. Yeah. What were some of the responses that you got? Um, you know, because you're, you kind of had already created, uh, you already had a, you were a minister, right? So you already had people who, like you said, with your mom that are following you. Um, what were like some of the responses from people? From people overall, I mean, you had the people who were shocked and, and disgusted. Um, with, you know, how is, how are you a minister and, and you're gay? Um, and those were the responses that I was always afraid of. And so that's the part of what kept me um, yeah. coming out all of those years. And, uh, and so I feel like I was prepared for those responses. And because when I made the decision to finally come out, I'd accepted that that yep. would come. Um, but to my surprise, there was an overwhelming acceptance of us there was an overwhelming amount of love that was also shown to us yeah. and so I think that was so amazing so shout yeah. out to everybody mm -hmm. um, who has been on this journey um, with us and when we did go viral from from our proposal I mean there was mixed responses I mean yeah. we 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 were posted on um, all kinds of pages and you know, many internationally in fact and so even in other countries like in Africa where people um, there was a whole bunch of negative response yeah. in fact, but we also got a, you know, a lot of people who reached out to us for, um, for refuge um, who were saying, hey, you know, you're inspiring me here in my country. I, I can't live um, openly because I'd be burned alive while I'd be put in jail. In fact, we did have people who would comment on some of the posts and say that me and Derek should be burned alive. Um, and so that really expanded our awareness um, of, you know, just really, 
some of the danger um, yeah, that is certainly out there um, that we need to constantly be aware of and mindful of, but um, also a lot of inspiration uh, to see other people gain insight and hope um, from our relationship. Um, as we know that you know, many people who are part of the LGBTQ plus community, um, you know, really have a hard time of finding and developing long-term lasting sustainable relationships and not often to the fault of our own, um, but because of the society that we live in and the kind of environments we were born in, many of us are carrying so much trauma that we don't even know how to love. And, mm -hmm. and not that we don't even only know how to love other people, we don't even know how to love ourselves. Mm -hmm. And we haven't been exposed to examples of what that really looks like, what healthy um, same-sex loving relationships look like to begin with. Um, and so we understand the responsibility um, that we have, the example that we present um, to the world. And uh, what we never want to do is, is put out this understanding or perception um, that we're perfect, that we have it all together, that we don't have issues. Um, that is far from what we ever uh, want people to believe. And in fact, we try to be careful of giving relationship advice because we know that relationships are not um, one size fit all or yeah. cookie cutter, um, in fact. And so those are some of the dynamics that we're always navigating. Yeah, no, they're not a monolith. We're, we, we are not a monolith at all. Um, I think uh, I think what you say is very powerful. And I think one, one of the reasons why I liked um, you and your page is because it is a balance, right? It's a very well-rounded, even when you post about like, you know, I stalk all the guests. So I read like one of your posts about your anniversary and you talk like you are very in-depth about uh, the journey and like what that year signifies to you and, you know, the ups, the downs, you know, the balance and choosing your person over and over and over again. And that's something that, you know, we can, um, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll probably orchestrate, you know, a relationship kind of situation, roundtable situation to talk about relationships and long-term relationships and, you know, how they're no different than any other <laughs> relationship. Exactly. They have the same challenges. Um, you know, there's families who don't like the heterosexual spouse. They're black, yeah. they're uh, straight, they have children, they're married, they have, but they still just don't like them, you know, for whatever, yeah. you know, the reason. So it's, um, normalizing what it looks like to be in a relationship we're not all salacious we're not all you know uh these this imagery that you may have seen you know 20 30 years ago of you know um you know whatever that visual was but um we are normal we do function as regular people um so i i appreciate yeah. what you guys share um now okay. let's talk about your your career so you are very much like my wife and I, uh, we call it like we have the cookie cutter kind of careers. Like, you know, I'm in finance, she's an attorney. You have, uh, you know, you have a JD, you guys run a business, um, very traditional, uh, you know, in a sense. Um, how do you balance functioning in those environments, right? And being yourself? Because I think one of the things about, particularly being a black man, um, is balancing your sexuality. And when I say sexuality, I further mean uh, the spectrum of being too feminine or too masculine. So you talked about the mass, you know, the toxic masculinity or like uh, not being too, not putting yourself in a box or anything like that. How have you navigated that 
through all of your um, professional career? I think that, in fact, we have been always in a position of, of, of leadership. At least I know that has been my journey since I grew up as a childhood preacher. That's all I've ever known is to you know, be in the forefront, um, leading others. And, and certainly at a younger age, I was very much so always trying to be myself. Um, and any time I got real comfortable, I was able to do that more and more. And um, I, I think it has been a challenge and it still is, you know, people call it code switching, where I'm still seeing times where depending on who I'm talking to, I, I may feel like I may have to, you know, beef up this way or, or say more about this or speak more um, in a certain way or even dress a particular way depending on who um, the audience is. And that's something that we have to navigate all the time. Um, so it is real. It is challenging. I am proud that I'm getting more and more empowered. Like now I'm starting to wear tennis shoes, let me put it this way. I'm starting to wear tennis shoes with my dress clothes and yeah. that used to not be the case. I mm -hmm. used to always be suited and booted, shirt and tie um, and suit and dress shoes. And so now I'm starting to get a little bit more comfortable and say, look, you're gonna accept me how I come. Mm -hmm. And if that isn't acceptable to you, then that means that you aren't supposed to be in my life. I mean, so I'm starting to just become more empowered um, around my own authenticity and identity and not being fearful of who won't accept me. Um, because if you don't accept me, there are so many people out in the world. I think sometimes we actually forget how many people are in the world um, that you would never meet them all. And, and so to have the understanding or the expectation to, for them all to accept you and for them all to love you I just think it's a bit far-fetched. And that's how I grew up, wanting everybody to love me, wanting everybody to accept me. And so I've just kind of matured a bit and am at a place where I'm not on the mission anymore um, to have all of y'all love me, mm -hmm. to have all of y'all accept me. Um, but more so those who have been purposed um, in my life for me to connect with or for me to influence, for me to inspire, then that's my sign. And that is who mm -hmm. I have been put on this earth um, to, to be on the journey with. And I'm becoming more, um, more committed to my assignment mm -hmm. and, and not the assignment that anybody else has for me, not the assignment that anybody else expects of me. I um, mean, I think that has been what has been transformative. But I also say um, to your point about me and Derek and traditional, um, our traditional roles or pathways, I do feel like we have not, although we have like for myself, a JD, a Juris Doctorate, I still haven't taken a, a traditional pathway. When I graduated law school, I didn't go and work for a law firm. I'm not even a, pract a practicing attorney. And, and so I feel that we have in fact, um, taken non-traditional routes um, to live out our purposes, to live out our passions. And so we developed leadership brainery because we were experiencing, when I got to my law school, I was one out of four black men out of 250 students that entered into my incoming class. Derek in his master's of public health program was the only black man. Then he went to law school at the same school I went to. And that year was the only black man that was in his cohort. And it was those experiences that caused us to start asking the questions to admissions and even to um, recruiters in the workforce why there were not more underrepresented 
um, folk in these competitive graduate programs and in these high career um, earning opportunities. And the response we kept getting was we can't find enough qualified diverse candidates. And we thought that was just the most lazy um, and um, inequitable response and decided that we wanted to do something about that. Because when we were in at Grambling, before I graduated, we started getting calls from other student leaders saying, how are y'all getting so much done? And so we started providing consulting trainings, leadership development trainings to different student organizations at colleges and universities. We started doing that in 2013. That's how Leadership Brainery got its start. And then we went to graduate school, as I mentioned, and that's where we transformed our model into a nonprofit um, in 2018 um, to begin focusing on uh, preparing and pipelining more underrepresented talent to a uh, master's doctoral degree programs and into the workforce. Nice. So let's talk about uh, Leadership Brainery. Just kind of give, tell the people what it is, um, how it got started. I know uh, you and uh, Derek co-founded it, correct? Yes. Um, so just take us through, take us through the journey. Yeah, so I just um, shared a little bit about what influenced and really prompted us starting Leadership Brainery. And we are now going on our four year um, as a nonprofit entity, a 501c3 tax exempt organization. Uh, we have a team now, five full-time staff members, including myself and Derek. Derek is our executive director. I am the director of development. So I'm responsible for all of the fundraising at Leadership Brainery and interfacing with our stakeholders and, uh, and supporters. And we have several core programs. Um, one is focused on mentorship and recruitment. Um, so current graduate students and prospective graduate students um, in a mentorship relationship so, so that more of those prospective graduate students can give help with um, test prep and admissions coaching and really learning the ins and outs of being a graduate student. Um, and then we also have 14 and growing um, member schools, graduate professional schools that are members of Leadership Brainery um, who work with us to recruit underrepresented talent. Um, as well as to support and retain their current students um, who get access to our clubhouse. Uh, we just launched um, a new physical space, uh, which is a hub for diverse graduate students and early career professionals to connect, have co-working space, uh, professional development programming, networking opportunities. And so LB Clubhouse is on, in Back Bay on Beacon Street here in Boston. And we do aspire to replicate the model in other cities um, around the country in the near future as well. Um, and so folk who are interested in learning more about all of that, go to leadershipbrainery.org. Uh, we also have an annual impact summit, which is a thought leadership conference and graduate school recruitment fair that we've been hosting since 2019. We hosted our first one at Harvard Law School and are proud that it has continued to grow um, over the years. Um, and, and we have a host of current undergraduate students who our first cohort of ambassadors are graduating this May. Um, and they've been on the journey with us now for three years and we've been providing the mentorship and test prep materials and other professional development as they navigate undergrad into their graduate school and career um, ventures and opportunities. And so that's the suite of programs that we have at Leadership Brainery, which are all hinged on exposure, mentorship, and recruitment. Again, if you want to learn more about Leadership Brainery, go to leadershipbrainery.org, tap in, follow us on social media. Um, and certainly if you're one of those people who are interested in going to graduate school and leveraging it as a way for 
accelerated career mobility. Um, you know, we're, we're the organization that you need to be working with and, and spread the word. If you don't desire to go to graduate school, you know someone else who needs to spread the word because it matters to all of us um, because we are underrepresented um, in the workforce. We're underrepresented in high wage earning and that is affecting the gap in wealth in our communities. Yeah. And we need more black and brown doctors, more black and brown lawyers, more black and brown professors, more black and brown engineers. Um, and the pathway for us to do that is to encourage our communities to know that you can do it, that you deserve it, and to go after it. Uh, because if we don't, we're going to continue to go to the doctor and not find anyone who like relates it. to us. We're going to continue to look for legal representation and not have enough people who, who relate to us. In fact, we have, we have less Black male um, medical students today than we had in the 70s and 80s. Um, we have, um, in the legal profession, um, only 5% of the legal profession are Black lawyers. Only 5%. Mm -hmm. But yet, we make up a significant portion of the incarceration um, mm -hmm. population um, mm -hmm. in, in America. Mm -hmm. Come on, y'all. Um, so we have to get really motivated about building this movement around access to graduate education as a lever and a, an accelerated pathway to our communities leveling up. Yeah, no, definitely. Y'all check Leadership Brainery out. We need this. We need more yes, people. We do. Yeah, so we'll definitely put you know all your links and everything uh, in in the in the um, in the the description so people can find you guys and and definitely find tap in. Word. Sure. Yes, and That's donate. Awesome. Um, we donate, contribute. We are a nonprofit organization, so we need people at every level. If it's five dollars, ten dollars, a hundred dollars, a thousand dollars, twenty thousand mm -hmm. dollars, um, we have people that are giving at all kinds of levels and ranges. And this is a grassroots movement, and we all need to be a part of it. So I really encourage you all um, to tap in. Yeah, definitely. Definitely donate. It makes a difference. Um, yes, five, it does. Like you said, $5 makes a big difference. It does. Um, two more questions. Um, one is you, uh, as it relates to politics. So um, you, you know, obviously, I, you know, like I said, I stalk your... Uh, I see, here. I see. Um, <laughs> so you've spoken about, you know, Black Lives Matter movement at points in time, right? Um, where do you fall out in terms of Black Lives Matter versus Gay Lives Matter? Um, whenever there's matters of Black gay people, right? Uh, one of the things that um, Black people in particular struggle with, Black queer people, is the rhetoric from the Black community in particular, right? Um, have you had experiences where they've conflicted? And uh, what is your overall perspective as a person who's active in the space um, of sort of the, you know, segmentation or segregation of the two uh, things at times, being Black and being queer, it's almost like you got to pick sometimes and it's like, but I'm both. So how do you reconcile that? Yeah, it's, it's really tough at times, um, particularly in the communities, um, particularly where people don't understand that intersectionality. And I've had conversation with friends who felt like I didn't have it, I didn't have um, additional challenges in my life um, because of me being black and gay. Um, and thought that because they were a black man who came, came from lower socioeconomic background that, that we had it the same. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that is to me just a lack of knowledge and understanding of not only intersectionality, but oppression 
and the layers of oppression. And I do believe that, as people say, we don't want to get into um, oppression Olympics and be trying mm-hmm. to compare who got it worse um, than, than someone else. But I do think that knowledge is power. It's really important for people to understand the layers. And for me, my approach is collective responsibility. Um, the fact that we all need each other and we should all be prioritizing uplifting those with their backs against the wall. Um, so regardless of us being black or gay, um, to me, um, if we really got intentional, we would be uplifting um, trans people of color yeah. um, and be prioritizing their experiences yeah. because I believe that they are the ones most with their backs against the wall. Trans people of color, who come from social, lower socioeconomic backgrounds even more. Um, and if we uplift those who have their backs against the wall, and this is a way that Dr. Howard Thurman would frame it, um, I believe that we all win, we all level up. And so my encouragement to our communities, regardless of what movement you're part of, regardless of what segmentation you identify with, um, that we should be about lifting up everyone and prioritizing those who are the most vulnerable, the most marginalized. Um, And that would be people who have multiple levels of intersectionality, maybe Black, trans, a woman, and poor. Like Those are the people that we need to be prioritizing uh, because they're going to have even more challenges navigating the world. I understand the privilege that I have as a cisgendered um, man. Um, and I know that that gives me additional privilege navigating systems and society. Um, and, and you know, But I also understand that because I'm not straight, that there's a level of additional barrier that I have to process through. So what I've been doing in my own life is becoming more intentional about thinking about those people who um, who are experiencing other intersections of oppression um, that are even more compounded than, than I experienced myself. Um, and, and I think that's what we all should be doing, asking ourselves indeed, um, not um, um, whether or not I got it worse than someone, yeah. um, but more so framing it as um, this is a system of oppression that we're all trying to navigate. Who is having to navigate it from multiple levels that may be even more compounded than I am? And how can I put them in the front? How can I prioritize them? How can I make sure that my actions and interactions um, are making their lives better, increasing and improving their quality of life? Because I know that we do that for them. We do it for everybody. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I mean, it's for lack of better example, like even what's going on right now, right? It's like this, this war is outside of the United States, but it affects everybody. So if we help, we'll end it sooner and our gas prices can go down. Throw that in there real quick. Exactly. (laughs) And part of of our help, because I love to always remind us to think about systems. Part of our help is not only sending, you know, resources and relief, um, but it is also thinking about the kind of leaders that we elect, the kind of leaders that we support. Um, For those who aren't aware, I ran for Boston City Council in 2019 to represent District 9, which is Austin and Brighton um, here in Boston. Um, I didn't win my election, but my election was really focused on what we call information and justice. The fact that people lack resources and opportunities when they lack information. And one of the biggest barriers to us having improved quality of life is having lack of information mm-hmm. and access to it. Um, and, and so that's exactly why I, I 
ran for city council um, back then. And, and why I believe deeply that more young people and people of color sh and, and LGBTQ plus people should run for office because we need leaders who are respectful, responsible, and inclusive, um, who are going to be intentional about um, ensuring that they're prioritizing, again, those with their backs against the wall and who are using very innovative approaches um, to solve our most pressing problems. Because I do believe in the words of Pastor O'Neill that if we do what we've always done, we will get what we've always got. Mm -hmm. 100%, 100%. Awesome, man. This was great. This is yes, great. Indeed. Um, yes, indeed. Final question, I ask every guest, what advice do you have for a young queer person who may be having their own journey, experiencing similar things that you did, um, what advice do you have for them? My advice to you is to be patient with yourself and to navigate your own journey. Don't try to follow anybody else's road, anybody else's lead. Don't try to be like anybody else. And don't compare yourself to anybody else. Oftentimes, when we compare ourselves to other people, it results in stress, anxiety, and greater depression. Um, because when we don't see our life mapping out in the way that somebody else's is, then somehow we feel like we're behind or, or we're, not, we're not doing something right. Um, when in fact, we all have been put on this earth and we all have our individual journeys and circumstances that we have to navigate. Um, so be, be, give yourself grace. Um, be patient with yourself. But most of all, I believe that for all of us, the, the journey is about loving ourselves and unpacking our own sense of self-worth, um, dignity, and respect. Um, and so I encourage you to do that. And I, don't, I may not know you, but I want you to know that you're loved um, and that you're supported. And I'm sending all of the positive energy out there to you to encourage you to hang in there when it gets tough, to motivate you um, to not give up, um, to motivate you to dig deep, um, to know that you are indeed worthy of dignity, respect, and all of the love and positivity that the world and the universe has to offer. Um, that's my encouragement to you. Um, don't give up, um, hang in there. And if you have people in your life who you can lean on, take the risk um, um, to, to lean on. Um, but most of all, um, you know, fo follow, follow your intuition and continue to develop a sense of discernment around who you can trust and who you can lean on. Um, and then lastly, I'll say um, something that I desire to work more on in my own life, um, and that's encouraging us to continue to prioritize our mental health and prioritize our sanity, because uh, we are unpacking a lot and most of it is trauma. And so I encourage you to continue to prioritize um, both your mental health, your physical health and your spiritual health. Awesome, yeah, thank you so much. Absolutely. All right. Thank you. This is the end. So incredible. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jonathan, for coming on. This is another episode of the Queerly Black Show. I'm your host, Ashley. I'll catch y'all on the next one.